Hello everyone and welcome to the Strength Actually podcast. My name is Lindsay and I'll be your host. This podcast is a safe, judgment-free space where we'll be unpacking the typically patriarchal narrative around strength and asking what does it really mean to be strong? I'll be bringing you big sister energy to answer the questions you've always wanted to ask but have felt too scared or intimidated to. We'll be covering everything from strength physically to strength in relationships, parenting and times of hardship. No question is off limits. This week is all about rejection sensitivity, feelings of shame when it comes to self-pleasure and managing ADHD symptoms. If you've been loving our podcast so far, please remember to like, share and subscribe. Let's get into it. Hey Lindsay, recently I've learned that I am rejection sensitive and this makes it really difficult to navigate conversations with my partner and with my friends and with my family, sometimes even with strangers. Someone could say or do the simplest little thing and I take it really, really personally. I find it really difficult to navigate and I often end up reacting in anger or ruining conversations or situations with my what feels like pettiness. I would really love to find strength to overcome this. Do you have any tools or tips or tricks that might help? I have a tool for this and I also see you. I'm very, very rejection sensitive and when I learned what rejection sensitivity was, I felt so much better and I realised that actually the world was not in fact out to get me, although of course certain parts of the world are not set up for me and my experience as a woman and a neurodivergent person and a bisexual woman and you know there's lots of things that are oppressive and I know that that's not even a tiny minute bit of the experience of some people who are marginalized and oppressed by our world but in saying that I was feeling like Anytime anyone gave me any feedback, anytime anyone said anything to me, disagreed with me, I didn't didn't like something on Instagram, didn't didn't comment, didn't text back. I just was feeling like the like I was rejected, and so I totally get it. In terms of conversations, because that's kind of what you've mentioned, is there's this really cool tool that I picked up from Brene Brown. This is not my tool, but I've used it ever since. And sometimes I have to use it through gritted teeth, right? (laughs) But it's a very, very useful tool. And it's to ask, what is the story that I'm telling myself? So you can ask this on reflection when it's something like, say, for example, someone hasn't liked your Instagram post, but they liked someone else's Instagram post, or you saw them online, so you know they've been using their Instagram. Now, I know this is super basic, and we shouldn't get wound up about these things, but we do, okay? And it's easy to to start spinning stories. Well, they don't like me, they're pretending to be my friend, they um, don't like what I'm saying here, nobody likes me, what's the point in this, blah, blah, blah. We can really get into that hole, right? And we start telling ourselves stories like they're not a very good friend, like they're not supportive of me. So that's it. What's the story that you're telling yourself? I'm telling myself that story, but what are the actual facts? What What is actually happening that they might not have seen it? They, you know, and that's another story that I'm telling myself. So I don't actually know the real story. 
unless I'm sticking to the facts. And one of the ways to get round it is to say is to say to the person, "Hey, like, I've noticed that you know this is I'm quite nervous about saying this to you, and I've noticed that you are." on social media a lot but that you haven't been engaging with my posts and the story I'm telling myself is that our friendship has shifted. Is there anything we need to talk about or is there anything you want to say to me or get off your chest? You know and it just opens up space for a more positive conversation where you're not putting the person on the back foot by saying hey you're not liking my Instagram anymore why is that? You know, that's that's an attack. It's going to make the person feel defensive. It's like the story I'm telling myself is that you're not engaging with what what I'm putting out on socials anymore. And it's and the story that I'm telling myself is that our friendship has shifted. And you it you take accountability when you say that. And it makes a massive difference. The reason I said I need to say it through gritted teeth sometimes is in my relationship with my partner you know, having to say it, like, the story I'm, when you do that, the story I'm telling myself is, is so hard when you just want to say, when you do that, you make me feel like this, or when you do that, it's, it's because you think this about me, which, of course, creates a more difficult conversation, and this is a really useful one for me to remember as well, because I feel like I've lost touch with using it recently and already springing to mind our recent conversations that I've had where this would have been a much more useful tool. So, you know, recognise that implementing a tool or a tip or a trick, it might not happen straight away and you might forget about it because you are human and that's okay. But when we come back to this, this really important phrase, what is the story I'm telling myself it just makes us accountable and it stops the other person from feeling defensive and it also just helps us to navigate that rejection sensitivity and I find it super, super useful. I hope it helps you too. Hey Lindsay, I am a woman and I've been with my partner who's male for 15 years. I think of myself as pretty liberal and open when it comes to sex. I've never had a problem with him accessing self-pleasure, but I've recently realised that I have a lot of internalised shame and guilt around my own self-pleasure. When my girlfriends talk about masturbating, I've always thought, well, I have good sex with my partner, so I don't need that. And whenever I do have sex with myself, it feels different and I really enjoy it, but I feel guilty, as though I should have gone to him or that I'm negatively impacting our sex life somehow. How can I find strength to let go of shame and build that connection with myself? This is a really important question and I'm really glad that you've asked it. I think as women in particular, we are absolutely conditioned to think that self-pleasure is not for us. The patriarchy teaches us that we should go to men for sex and that it's okay for boys and men to masturbate. And the reason that it tells us that is because there's this underlying narrative that one of men's needs are sexual pleasure and that that should come from women. So when those two things are put together, it marries up and it means that we are there to service men and that we are not wasting any of our sexual desire on ourselves. But the thing is that sex with a partner and sex with yourself are two completely different things. And I can completely understand why you would feel shame and guilt around self-pleasure when you've most probably been brought up and conditioned 
to think that sex is just for between two people and between yourself and your partner that it's only sex with yourself is only something you do if you don't have a partner but it's not and self-pleasure is a gateway to our femininity it's a way for us to connect with our own power and our own sense of self and also there are so many reasons why you might desire sex with yourself over sex with another person And that's okay, that's absolutely allowed. And it's not something that you should ever have to feel shame for. Although I absolutely recognize why you would. Ways for you to build strength are to do it more, to practice it more, to take time to do the things that you really love to yourself, whatever those might be. And go on a journey of self-discovery, discover, what it is that you really like. And to be honest, that's only going to enhance your sex life because when you have a deeper understanding of your own sexual desire and your own sexual needs, if you are engaging in sex with a partner, you're going to be able to communicate that better, which is going to make the act of sex between the two of you more intimate, with a deeper connection and more pleasurable for both of you. So ultimately, this lie that we're told that we should only really be having sex with our partners if we're having good sex why would we even need to masturbate is exactly that it's completely a lie and it stops us from doing something that can actually make sex so much better and i feel really sad about that and i also feel really sad about the countless numbers of women who are not able to access this connection with themselves because of shame from all different reasons that they shouldn't be doing it and you know I've heard some like really wild stories and really wild things about why women shouldn't masturbate but it's all just to stop us from having that deep connection with ourselves and because it's something that people haven't understood that the men who created these lies haven't understood the act of female pleasure or of self-pleasure for women they're just thinking that there's like a finite amount of pleasure and that if we tap into that then we're going to be taking that away from our partner or husband or whoever we're supposed to be in service to which is just absolute bullshit and it's doesn't actually serve anyone like the patriarchy in general it doesn't serve anyone to have those limited beliefs, those beliefs that can stop people from building a more intimate and secure and pleasurable relationship. So absolutely do it, do it more, do it without shame, you know, read books, follow accounts on social media. If you're on social media, there are lots and lots of incredible women helping other women access their femininity, to reclaim their power, to meet their own sexual desires, to connect with their own bodies, to get comfortable with self-touch. And you know, you haven't mentioned anything like this, but there are a lot of reasons why people might feel uncomfortable with that, you know, like um, cultural or religious conditioning, sexual trauma, um, negative experiences. And those things really do need to be unpacked with a therapist and with someone who's able to help you overcome those experiences and, and come back to that connection with yourself. But in general, how to find strength is definitely to do it more, to release that shame and guilt, to know that you are 
absolutely allowed to have pleasure and that you're allowed to have it for yourself and that when you want it you don't have to go to your partner for that and when you don't go to them it doesn't mean that they can't meet your sexual needs it means that what you are looking for is for something different you're not looking for that sexual experience with another person it might be that you don't want to have to think about another person in that moment you want to have an orgasm you want to have a release you want to spend some time with yourself but you don't want to have to think about anyone else so Actually, that's a very like considerate approach rather than just saying, oh, I need pleasure, so I'm going to come and take it from you, but I'm not in the headspace to hold space for you and to think about your pleasure, which, to be honest, who wants to be having sex like that? So it's much more positive and much kinder and just a much nicer thing to do to experience, to get that pleasure from yourself when that's what you're looking for. Sex with a partner is just, it's so different. It's its done for many different reasons, connection, intimacy, like loads of different reasons that have to do with your relationship with another person. And sex with yourself is about your relationship with yourself. And you're absolutely entitled to that pleasure. And it's such a shame that we are brought up believing the opposite, that we are brought up, we're brought up full of shame about touching ourselves, about our bodies, about exploring our bodies, about getting to know our bodies. And, you know, then it leads to this. It leads to feeling like we can't have that connection of pleasure with ourselves and we can only get it from other people. So therefore, what happens when your partner isn't there or when you don't have a partner? Does that mean that you aren't worthy of pleasure? Or that it's some sort of like substandard pleasure experience because there's not someone else doing it to you. And you can just, you can hear how that takes away our power, right? That takes away our power to be the incredible women that we are, to be the amazing partners or to go out into the world and do good if we believe that we can't get pleasure unless we get it from someone else. And I do not want anyone to mishear this. I don't want anyone to hear me saying, oh, like, we don't need men because you can just have sex with yourself. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that sex with someone else and sex with yourself are two completely different things. And you are entitled to both if that is what you want. And you do not have to feel any shame or guilt about that. So I am sending you all of the power, all of the cheerleading vibes to... Go and get down with your bad self and not feel any guilt or shame about it. If what you needed is validation, then I am giving it to you. And I hope that you go on this incredible journey of self-pleasure and have the most ecstatic, beautiful, amazing time. And I know that it's not going to take away from your relationship. It's going to enhance it. Enjoy, Queen. Hey, Lindsay. You mentioned in a previous episode that you have ADHD. I would love to know any tips or tricks you have for managing your symptoms. I know it will help me find strength to manage mine. Thank you so much for asking this question. I hope that it will be helpful. I want to start by saying in full recognition of the fact that I am not a specialist in ADHD. I do in fact have ADHD. I have combined type, which is both hyperactive and inattentive, which seems like such a paradox and it feels like one too. But I am not a coach and uh, in ADHD and I'm also not a therapist. 
I would love to share my experience with you and I just want to say that of course my experience is my own. You might recognise similarities in yours and some of the tips and the tricks that I'm sharing might help you. But one of the things that has helped me the most is working with a therapist, working with someone who is a specialist in ADHD and who can help me to understand myself and to manage my symptoms in the best possible way and who can also look out for red flags or things that I'm saying that might need further input and support from a professional. So ADHD is actually my hyperfocus. <laughs> if you have ADHD, then you will recognise what a hyperfocus is. And it's something that when a neurodivergent person is super focused on something, they want to learn all of the information about it and they could talk about it for hours and they get really consumed by it. That's what my um, hyperfocus is at the moment. It's ADHD. So I've written myself some notes, if you hear me rustling paper, so that I can answer this question in the most concise way possible and not take a whole episode to talk about it. So how do I in fact cope with hyperfocus since that's the hot topic? One of the things that's really, really helpful for me is to use a visual timer. So this is basically a clock, like, I mean, it was like about four pounds or something like that. And I got it online. It's basically, it looks like a little alarm clock and it's got a dial in the middle. And when you turn the dial to set the timer, the area that you've set the timer for goes red. So when the timer's going down, the red area is reducing. Now it seems super simple and it is. However, having that in front of me and setting it for half an hour lets me actually see what half an hour is because one of the symptoms that I struggle with is time blindness, particularly when I'm hyper-focused. So if I'm working on something and I'm stuck right in it and I'm getting right into it, I could honestly, and this is no exaggeration, I could sit there for six hours and not get up and go to the toilet and not get up and eat and not drink water. That's problematic for so many reasons. And whilst it might mean that I get to create this incredible project, I'm not looking after myself whilst I'm doing it, which is not conducive to good health and a good happy life that I want to lead. So when I've got my little visual timer there, I can see, right, okay, I've been working on this for half an hour. I've been working on this for 45 minutes. I've got 10 minutes left and that's what this looks like and it means that I don't end up getting lost, being late for things, forgetting my next appointment and also means that I don't just sit still for six hours which really isn't good for anyone. So I would highly recommend using one of those. I also use my watch alarm so I set, I've got a smartwatch and I set it to buzz every hour and it tells me to get up. I also have a separate alarm that I use that says drink water, go to the toilet. And again, seems super simple. And maybe if you're a neurotypical person listening to this, you might be thinking, what the actual F? Like when you need the toilet, just go to the toilet. But the thing with ADHD for me in particular and other people might be able to relate to this is that the distance between doing the thing that I need to do and the thing that I need to do seems quite far, sometimes feels like a big long corridor that goes on and on and on and on and it almost becomes impossible for me to do that and that happens particularly when I'm hyper-focused 
or if I'm in a real inattentive phase where I'm kind of struggling to manage like normal everyday executive function. So having those alarms really helped me because they almost like snapped me out of it and they helped me remember, oh my God, you have not been to the toilet. Let's go to the toilet. Come on, Linz, let's get up and go to the toilet. And it's just this kind of like schedule, it really, really works for me. It takes input and effort to set it all up. But once it's set up, then it's something that has really, really supported me. Another tool that I absolutely love is the concept of body doubling. So body doubling is when you get a person, another person, to help you manage the tasks that you are forever putting off. Now, for everyone with ADHD, these tasks will look different. But for me, it is most definitely everyday household tasks. So putting the washing away. One of my friends refers to them as doom piles. So just like doom piles of washing all over the house. And that's what happens in our house. You know, we remember to put the washing on. We quite often remember to hang it up. I say quite often because we do forget sometimes and then we have to rewash it. But we don't seem to put it away. So we just take it off the dryer for the next load to go on the the clothes horse. And then there's just these doom piles everywhere and it gets incredibly overwhelming. So body doubling is not getting someone to come to your house and put the washing away, although that can also be helpful. It's getting someone to maybe speak to you on the phone. So you say like to your friend who's also up for body doubling, right, I'm going to call you Wednesday lunchtime. We're going to spend half an hour. You do whatever your task is and I'll do whatever mine is. And mine will most often be putting the washing away. And just like having that person to be there whilst they're doing their task and you're doing your task, even if it's on the phone and you're just chatting away, it works. It works. And there is there will be a science and and behind it, but I don't know how to articulate that right now because hello, ADHD. Um, but it really, really works. And it's a concept I actually use in my business coaching as well, where I can meet up with my clients or my students on Zoom and we'll say, right, we've got an hour what is it that you need to get done? And they'll say, like, I want to schedule 10 Instagram posts or whatever. And I'll say, right, I want to do this. And then we'll just sit together on Zoom. Like, I'm not doing anything in particular to coach them and they're not having to talk to me. And it's like such an amazing concept. I started doing it during lockdown just for friends and just like other business people that I was close to. And it was so effective because it's just like, this is the time that we've got to do this and here is someone here to keep me accountable and that's essentially what body doubling is doing it's keeping you accountable and it helps you actually get to the task and to stop procrastinating now body doubling with an actual person isn't available to everyone right you might not be able to speak to your friend on the phone at the same time as you need to get the task done you might not have people who are up for doing that kind of thing So another thing that I use is I'll save like my favourite podcast and I'll be like, right, I'm going to listen to this on Thursday when I have that bit of time to put my washing away. Honestly, putting washing away is such a big task for me. Or I'm going to even sometimes like to get myself to go for a walk, which is actually something that is very good for my health. I can't, as much as I love exercise, I 
sometimes just can't get myself to do it. And so being like, right, I'm going to listen to that podcast and that's going to get me out on my hours walk on the days where I'm not at the gym or whatever. Or another tool that I use is to leave people voice notes. So I've got some friends who really love voice notes and I love their voice notes and they're totally cool with me leaving them podcast length voice notes. And so I'll leave them a voice note whilst I'm having to do this mundane task that I can't quite get my brain to engage with. And that's the thing with ADHD, it's these tasks that aren't giving you the dopamine, that aren't exciting to you, your brain is like, no, thank you, I am absolutely not going to do that. And that's what makes it really, really challenging to get those more mundane tasks done. So body doubling is a big, big one for me. And whether that's with an actual person, whether that's in person, on the phone, on Zoom, on FaceTime, or whether that's with a podcast, leaving a voice note, listening to an audiobook, even listening to music, but in my ears, you know, not just playing it around the house, like in my ears. It just makes such a difference to me and helps me manage that really challenging symptom of lack of executive function. Another thing that I find really helpful is to embrace the chaos. And when I say that, I mean be super, super compassionate and kind to myself. There is so much shame that comes with an ADHD diagnosis. There is so much guilt and shame that comes with living in a world that's set up for neurotypical people and not neurodivergent people. And it's really, really hard not to blame yourself or not to wish that it was different. And that's a really dark place that we can end up in. So what I try my best to do is to embrace the wonderfully complex, unique human that I am. I try really hard not to apologise for myself, as tempting as it is, and I do still sometimes do it. I try really, really hard not to say, oh my God, I'm sorry, I just talked about that for 20 minutes and you only asked me like one question. And I try to recognise what are my symptoms of my condition and I talk about them to normalise them and I also talk about them so that other people who are maybe neurotypical can recognise them and I am just really nice to myself about it and I'm like listen that's okay that that happened you know I speak to myself the way I'd speak to my son I quite often do that I speak to myself with a really soothing tone I use like self-soothing like touching certain parts of my body that will soothe me like you know rubbing the outside of my arm or like maybe like playing with my hair and just reminding myself that I am a human being and that I am allowed to exist and that it's okay that I'm different from other people Whereas I just spent so long, such a large part of my life, putting myself down and saying that I'm not good enough and why am I weird and why am I like that? And when you get into that mindset, your symptoms can actually become worse because you're suppressing your needs and you're trying to hide yourself. And then what happens is these things just like spill out and they get out of control and it feels really, really unmanageable. So... I am chaos, like I am absolutely chaos and I'm like reclaiming that word, I'm reclaiming that to be like and I'm okay with that, I am absolutely okay with that and you know I have employees and I have 
people that I work with and I'm very open. You know, I even have other businesses that I coach and I'm very open about the fact that I have ADHD. This is where my barriers are. These are my challenges. This is what I need from you. This is what you can expect from me. And just having that really open and honest conversation where I've totally and fully embraced myself and I'm standing here being my authentic self and being unapologetic has just made such a difference for me when it comes to managing my symptoms and managing my experience and helping other people to understand me too, which is a really, really big one when it comes to navigating this world as a neurodivergent person. Another thing that helps me a lot is structure and I've also I've all, already mentioned accountability kind of with the body doubling but as much as I thrive in chaos and I love change and I love like I'm really really good in a emergency situation and you know I can really think on my feet and I can think really fast I think I've referenced this before but you know when we went into lockdown before we'd even officially gone into into lockdown I had a full-blown system for an online gym I had transferred all my members onto it I had this whole concept this whole before some people had even recognized what was happening and you know there's a skill element to that um and it's it's awesome but there's also like the fact that I wasn't present in those feelings in that moment which then came back to bite me in the butt later but the reason that I am referencing that is because yes I am able to do that in absolute chaos But I don't want to live my life like that and one of the things that does actually really help me, although sometimes I have to really drag myself into the moment to believe it, is structure. You know, having things on a a set structure with room for variability so it's not too rigid, it's got flexibility is something that just helps me so, so much. You know, I don't like this concept of like rigid consistency because it doesn't allow for the variables that are going to happen in my ADHD brain. But having consistency with flexibility, you know, that allows for me to rest when I need to, when I've got my period, or it allows for me to take a bit of time off here and there and not think that I've completely fallen off the wagon and my life is a riot. That kind of flex- flexible structure, it just works so much for me. And some of the things that I utilise within that are I have a Google Calendar and I book everything into it from client meetings to sessions that I'm leading to haircuts to appointments to things I need to remember to do like phone this, there's a deadline for that, reply to that email. It all goes into my Google Calendar and because I'm a very visual person, when I see that, I get it done. Whereas if it's just in my head, along with the 15 million other things that are churning over in my mind at all times, because my brain works so fast, I can't remember to do anything because I've lost track and then I end up just feeling like a bit of a failure. So having that structure, having things booked in, knowing kind of the my expectations of what the week's going to roughly look like really helps me to just feel a bit more like a fully functioning human being and not someone who is just drowning in overwhelm. Another thing that I find really useful sort of within that structure pillar is habit stacking. 
So if I want to start something new, like as in that's all the time because I have ADHD, I like to do new things all of the time. And what was happening for so long is that I was starting something, I had no structure to it and then I was stopping it and I just felt like a failure. I really did. I just felt like, oh, why am I investing so much in this? And then I just let it go. So one of the things that I learned was to first of all choose one thing at a time and second of all to stack that on top of a pre-existing habit so for example if I wanted to start journaling I wanted to start writing down something that I was grateful for every day and at that point in time I was always having a cup of tea in the morning it was like this ritual I would get up and I would have this herbal tea that um, my herbalist had given me and that was something that I was using to help make my health better so this ritual had developed and it was really working for me so I thought okay so I'm going to get my journal and I'm going to put it next to the kettle and then every single morning when I'm drinking my tea I'm going to write those three things in my journal and I've so I've stacked that habit on top of another one the most simplest one to think about is brushing your teeth okay because we don't not do that we all brush our teeth in the morning or we, you know, hopefully, um, and or some habit that we've built up since childhood. So then stacking something else onto that, like doing your meditation straight after it or doing your movement practice straight after it or whatever it is that you're trying to build is how you can help build a successful habit because you're not just like, right, I'm going to do that and then you've got to try and fit it into your day and then it's like everything is overwhelming and then you don't do it and then you feel rubbish. It's like, okay, what is this one small thing I want to do and how can I add it on to the thing that I'm already doing regularly and that I re- rarely forget to do? And that for me is so helpful with so many things, but particularly with my compassion towards myself and just with like recognising like that I can actually build habits. I can actually stick to something. I can actually ch- make change, positive change in my life. But I maybe just have to really think about how I do that and to recognise that waking up one day and being like, right, I'm going to drink three litres of water, I'm going to eat this, I'm going to go to the gym this amount of times a week, I'm going to do my gratitude, I'm going to meditate, I'm going to drink my herbal tea. Like, that's like a lot of things. Whereas my brain's like, nah, that's totally manageable. And that's this whole concept of time blindness as well, not really understanding how long it takes to do something and then just feeling a bit like, a failure because you haven't managed to do these massive goals that you've set out for yourself so keeping it small tacking it onto an original habit it really helps me with that helps me build structure and just overall helps me to manage my symptoms I could go on I really could keep going but I'm gonna stop and I really hope that that information has been helpful for you I talked about coping with hyper focus I talked about embracing the chaos i.e being super compassionate with yourself I talked about body doubling and I talked about structure and accountability and if you want to know more please don't hesitate to reach out to me like I said I'm not an expert in this and it's it's a new journey for me too but I'm really really invested in it and a lot of the things that I teach people 
or that I was teaching people in my coaching practice were things that I had learned to manage my own neurodivergence. And it's why I struggled with my own neurodivergence for so long, because I had made this assumption that everyone was like me, that everyone thought like me and everyone needed this support in the same way that I did. And it wasn't until I started recognising that maybe I've picked up these tools and tips and tricks along the way because my experience is different from other people's and these tools and trips, tips and tricks are helping me to navigate this world that teaches me that the way that I want to exist isn't okay. So they are tools that could be super helpful for everyone and maybe you're neurotypical and you're like, oh, that could be really helpful for me. And that's the thing about creating a more inclusive world. It's like, actually, this isn't going to take away from the neurotypical experience. It's just going to enhance it. Allowing and, you know, saying to your employees, like, every hour, like, we're going to do this and it's, you know, to get a break from our desks or even doing that with kids in school, like, that's not going to take away from their experience. It's, it's going to be good for everyone. But it's just going to take the world a little bit of time to catch up with that. So I hope that those tools and tips and tricks are helpful in the meantime. And like I said, if you want to know any more, please do reach out to me because I could talk about this forever. Wonderful humans, that is all we have time for today. I want to thank you so much for joining me here on the Strength Actually podcast, for submitting your questions and for daring to be vulnerable. It means so much to me to have you here and I cannot wait to hear what you ask next week. If you'd love to drop me a question, you can do so via the link in the show notes. And until next time, stay strong, friends.